listeners, I have exciting news. This is the first episode with Hugh Philpot as Titiana Tia Johnson. We are thrilled to have Hugh on board as they join us on this wild ride. Trigger warning. This podcast may contain themes of suicide, violence, and drug use. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Tia and Rio attempt to save themselves and the world. Episode 10, SOS. Previously on Tia and Rio attempt to save themselves and the world, Tia's on a mission to find Kiki, afraid that hell may now be after her too, since they intervened precisely as Kiki came out to Tia. During her search, she discovers a glowing green orb thing that most closely resembles uranium. Once she returns home to store this new and unknown orb, she's suddenly in a rainforest with something closing in. Her fear elevated the moment that she realizes she's surrounded by plastic, the moment she realizes she's trapped. Meanwhile, on Rio's panic search for Hugh, she runs into Steve, the cheeriest man in retail, who gives her a foreboding note. Rio pays the note little attention though, as her search for Hugh ends at his house, where he abruptly and coldly ends things with her. A distressed Rio heads back home, her mind racing as she contemplates Hell's offer. Then there's Nathaniel, who accosts Father Paul and his minions for their not so well thought out actions against Tia and Rio. Ultimately, everything did work out far better than Father Paul, Abigail, Adam, or even Nathaniel could have anticipated. The second Rio gets out of the car, she runs inside. Anita? Anita comes out of her bedroom. Did you find Hugh? Rio hugs Anita very tightly. Anita begins to laugh. Oh my, what's gotten into you? Anita's smile quickly fades the second she sees Rio's face. Rio, what's wrong? Rio starts shaking her head, her body trembling. He, he, he was at his house. He didn't seem like himself. He was clearly upset about something, and I kept pressing him, trying to get some answers. We hugged, and then he started crying. He was shaking, Anita. It was scaring me. I tried to tell him he could talk to me, and, and that's when... Rio feels herself getting dizzy, and Anita notices too as she quickly grabs Rio before she falls. With the utmost care, Anita guides Rio over to the couch. The two women sit down side by side, with Anita gently stroking Rio's hair, waiting patiently for Rio to finish telling her what had happened. He broke it off. He said we were over. Or, I guess more specifically, that I was his employee. Nothing more, and nothing less. And he made me say that it was over, too. He screamed at me to say it. It was so cruel. It's like he changed overnight, or maybe he's been like this all along and I was just too stupid to see it. Now it's Anita's turn to shake her head. No, no, Rio, no, absolutely not. You are not stupid, and even if love makes someone stupid, this was never the case with you. You wear your heart on your sleeve, and that's not a bad thing. It's why we found each other, my dear Rio Grand. Anita holds on to Rio as Rio lets out several long cries. (laughs) 
he kept talking about everything that happened, how I ended up in a cop car and how he's not good for me. I can't say I disagree with that. I do not accept someone putting my Rio in harm's way. He needs to work on his temper. <laughs> yeah, he's the one that needs to go to anger management. The two women look at each other before they both crack a smirk. This smirk then turns into laughter. I can't believe you have to go to an anger management class. I suppose it is better than jail. I mean, of course it is better than jail. But still! <laughs> exactly! Rio says, still in a giggly mood. As the thought of it all sinks in, Rio's expression turns serious again. She turns to look at Anita. Anita, I have to tell you something. And I want you to know in advance that you're going to be disappointed in me. But I also want you to know that I'm aware that what I did was wrong. And that I'm really, really sorry. Now it's Anita's turn to get serious as concern washes over her. What is it? I am sure you could never disappoint me. Anita, on Monday, I almost let it win. What do you mean? What it? My depression. This is going to sound so stupid and selfish, but I was having a hard time living here by myself when you were living with Tony and... For the hundredth time in my life, I felt that hopelessness eating away at me. My very own spider, eating me alive, inside out. My dear, why didn't you tell me? You know you can always talk to me. And that's why this time, it's so bad. That's why you'll be disappointed. Or at least, that's why I want you to be disappointed. Because I fucked up. I went to the railroad tracks. I laid down on those tracks. And I was ready for it all to be over. And for not thinking about you. For not remembering how much you love me. I am so sorry. You will always be the reason I want to keep fighting. But I, I still feel like I let you down. Rio grabs Anita's hands and Anita returns this gesture with a tight squeeze, her eyes filling up with tears as Rio can barely speak. I'm so sorry, Anita. I love you so much. I wish... I wish you had been my mom all along. Then maybe... Maybe I would never have felt like giving up. Maybe I wouldn't have this soul-sucking depression. <laughs> Rio's sobs take over, and Anita cries with her, the two women holding on to each other. It takes them a few minutes for their emotions to calm. Still locked in a tight embrace, Anita whispers, You are my daughter, even if not by blood. This remark makes Rio cry harder, although she nods, grateful for these words that she knows are true. You could never disappoint me. I just want you to be okay. I want you to be happy. It makes me sad to hear about this, but I am glad you told me. We can find you a therapist. We will do whatever it takes. Anita, I would never do this to you. When I thought about you and 
all the nice motherly things you've done for me. But my depression convinces me that I'm a, I'm a burden to you. Anita shakes her head at this, saying without saying that this is certainly not true. Rio nods in understanding. She continues, But me, I know that you love me, and every sacrifice you've made, all the hard work you've done, is out of love, and I just hope to give that back to you. I want to make you proud of me. Rio, I'm already proud of you. You've come a long way since I found you that Christmas night. No one is perfect, and you, my dear, are perfectly imperfect. Rio lets out a half-cry, half-laugh, her expression turning to one full of hope and much higher spirits. I love you so much, Anita. It's my love for you and all the good times we've had together that got me off of those tracks. I wish there was a way I could thank you for all the amazing things you've done for me. There is something, Anita replies, as she gently wipes away the tears from both of their faces. You can live. I want you to live your life to the fullest. There are going to be unhappy times, and it makes me sad you've already had so many of those. But that means that the happy times are going to be so much better for you. Can you do that for me, my dear Rio? Promise me that you will live. Rio nods. Yes, I can. I will. Then I'm very proud. Anita kisses Rio's forehead, the two sitting together on the couch in a peaceful silence. Tia's back presses against the strange plastic that surrounded her, her body tense as she waits to face whatever menacing creature is about to burst through the rainforest foliage. Having nothing on her or with her besides the clothing she's wearing, Tia puts up her fists, forcing herself to be ready to strike. The loud rustling continues, and Tia moves forward about an inch so that her body isn't against anything, leaving her slightly less vulnerable to an attack. The trees in front of Tia start to fall, some directly to the right and others directly to the left, as they clear a path for whatever thing is making its way to confront Tia. Her fists in combat mode, she screams, Show yourself, you coward! The trees continue to fall, shaking everything, including Tia. She does her best to keep her footing, her breathing getting heavy. As suddenly as all the noise and movement began, it jolts to a stop. Everything except for Tia, totally still. Tia glances around, wondering why it got so quiet. That is, until she sees her mother. Mom? Mrs. Johnson holds out her arms to embrace her daughter. Tia is reluctant. How do I know it's really you? With everything you've been through, it makes sense you question this. Hell wants your soul, my baby T. And whatever you do, you have to keep fighting. No matter how hard it gets, you need to stay strong. You need to live. Tia rushes to her mother, her eyes becoming watery the second she can physically feel her mother's arms wrap around her. I can't believe this is really you. How, how is this possible? 
You found the key. Key? What key, Ma? The key that brought you here. The key that led you to this safe place. Tia very gently lets go from the embrace in order to look her mother in her eyes. She has to know that this isn't some kind of dream. She wants to believe that this is her mother before her very eyes, but the doubt and fear is still there. Are you saying that weird green orb thing is a key? Yes, but it doesn't work without the other woman. Other woman? What other woman? Do you mean Kiki? Mrs. Johnson's arms are suddenly full as she holds out a very large bouquet of roses. Tia doesn't take the roses as she continues to stare at her mother in confusion. What other woman? You have to find her, T. She is close by, she is near your age, and she's in terrible danger. Tia starts shaking her head. Her mother takes one of the roses and holds it out for Tia. It's the only way. As Tia reaches for the lone white rose, rose petals begin to fall from the sky, or whatever you want to call this strange, tropical, snow globe-like thing Tia is stuck in. Mom, please. I miss you. The two women stare lovingly at one another as the rose petals continue to fall around them. Tia can't remember the last time she's felt so at peace. Later Saturday evening, Anita and Rio decide to make the best of their weekend. Anita had picked up a pizza and plenty of ice cream for their girls' night in while Rio was in the shower. Once they eagerly devoured their treat, the two women would spend the rest of the night dancing, mostly to disco. Rio started with a few songs by the Smiths to help her process everything that had happened over this past insane week. Anita enjoyed their music as well, and the two of them even slow danced together for the song I Know It's Over, with Rio doing her best to let it all out and keep it out. She did not want to dwell on Hugh, Hell, or anything in between. She just wanted and needed her beloved Anita, especially since Anita was, in fact, the only woman Rio has ever known that can claim the title of Dancing Queen. A somber starting Saturday quickly turns into Saturday Night Fever as Anita plays all her favorite disco tunes. ABBA being Anita's favorite band, Rio and Anita have a blast dancing, singing, and occasionally sneaking in a few more bites of ice cream. Sunday morning comes all too soon, with the women going to bed around 4 in the morning. Anita insists that Rio stay in bed with her, and Rio easily agrees. Rio and Anita sleep soundly for most of Sunday morning until Anita is woken up by her cell phone ringing. Anita initially turns it off as she too is enjoying a rare opportunity to sleep in, but then her phone rings again. She picks it up and sees that it's Willowbrook, the veterinary hospital she works at. She immediately answers just as Rio stirs. Hello? Oh God, okay, I'll be there in ten. Anita scrambles out of bed and hurriedly gets dressed in her scrubs. Rio blinks hard. My dear Rio, I am so sorry. I have to run to work. There's been a bad accident and a dog got hit. They need all hands on deck. She finishes getting dressed before rushing to the bathroom. Will you be okay? 
I'll be back as soon as I can. Rio sits up. Anita, please, I'll be fine. You do what you do best and save that dog. You truly are a lifesaver, you know? Rio gets up and moves a few steps to greet Anita out of the bathroom with a fast hug. I love you. I love you too. Anita grabs her car keys and as she's leaving, she says, Text me what you'd like for dinner and I'll pick it up on my way home. (laughs) You're too good to me. Rio replies before deciding she wants to go for a long walk to clear her head. As Rio enters her room to get dressed, the Simon Le Bon poster with the red writing she had hung back up falls down the second she's in her room. Rio looks up as though she's about to talk to a higher power, then hesitates before looking down at the floor. She gives a deviant middle finger to the ground and the poster before getting dressed. Tia! Tia! T! Please! Wake up! Kiki screams, violently shaking Tia's comatose body. It's Sunday afternoon, and Kiki found an unresponsive, yet still breathing Tia, levitating several inches above the living room floor. Kiki is beside herself. All of Saturday, she purposefully ignored Tia's phone calls and text messages, angry at her best friend for acting so strange when she came out to her as gay. Kiki had gone home, but to call Kiki's home a home was perhaps too generous. Kiki's mother was an alcoholic, and Kiki never knew what kind of disaster she was going to walk in on. The second one entered Kiki's mother's home, it was evident that her mother was a hoarder, and everything just felt chaotic. Kiki didn't want to be anything like her mother. It's one of the many reasons she loved Mrs. Johnson so much. She was more her mother to her than her own mother was. She was still grieving over Mrs. Johnson's passing, too, and she was not only ashamed of her sexual orientation, but also of her growing pill addiction. It was all too much, all at once. When Kiki ran from Tia's house to go back to the place she feared the most, there was a small sense of relief when Kiki discovered her mother wasn't home. If she started thinking of questions to ask, like, where her mother would be. She knew not knowing the answers would eat away at her, so she dealt with the situation the only way she knew how, and that was getting high. Every time her phone buzzed, the shame and guilt grew. Kiki knew in her heart that Tia would never be anything other than supportive. It was her own negative thoughts and feelings that pushed Tia away. So she continued to let Tia panic. There was some satisfaction in seeing someone desperately try to track her down. Kiki's mother never knew where she was, nor did it ever seem like she cared. Kiki wondered if her mother was even aware that she had pretty much moved into Tia's home. Though, nothing hurt Kiki more than that fateful day she ran into her mother, expressing her grief at the loss of Mrs. Johnson, only to have her mother shrug her shoulders. The longer Kiki stayed at her mother's house, the house she grew up in, the lonelier she felt, and the more she longed to be by Tia's side. The Johnsons were the only two people in Kiki's world that have ever made her feel loved, and as Saturday night became Sunday morning, Kiki realized she did not want to lose that love. Even if Tia didn't share the same feelings as Kiki, Kiki could not deny the loving friendship they had and the home they were building, or at least maintaining, together. 
So when Kiki uses her own key to let herself into Tia's home, she is stunned to find Tia floating inches above the floor. Kiki instinctively checks her pulse and is relieved that Tia is still alive. How the hell is she floating? She tries everything. She shakes Tia. She splashes her friend with water. She pulls on Tia to get her onto the floor and to stop levitating. But nothing works. T! T, please wake up! I need you! I'm sorry for everything! T! Tia! I love you! Kiki yells, her body starting to shake as her nervousness grows. Kiki tries to think if she's high and doesn't know it. Am I imagining this? What am I gonna do? Should I call the police or 911? What could the police or EMTs do for her? Nothing about this makes sense! Kiki feels like she's breaking, her heart beating so fast she feels like it's gonna burst through her chest. She paces back and forth, all the while watching her best friend defy all physics. What would Tia do? She would look it up in a book. She would put her faith in science. Kiki stops pacing. That professor, what was his name? He was Chinese, I think? But he knew about something weird going on here in Erie. Kiki grabs Tia's hand, giving it a loving squeeze. I'm gonna fix this. Kiki gently lets go before she begins her hunt for Matt's information. There is a quiet place by Lake Erie, a lone bench not far from the Blasco Library, where Rio has taken refuge. The only other beings around are the geese, which Rio loves to watch. Even though she's still upset about everything that transpired in the past week, Rio manages to smile when she notices the geese all form a perfectly straight line as they enter the lake one at a time, each following the other in a flawless formation. Rio tries to focus on the beauty in front of her. Between Lake Erie and the gaggle of stragglers that seem content to roam on land, not to mention the sun inching closer to setting, Rio wishes she could feel more at peace here. Wishes she could marvel at the Bob Ross type of painting she's currently sitting in. But instead, her mind continues to replay the scene of Hugh breaking her heart over and over again. Rio glances down to grab her phone to text Anita, realizing she should tell her where she is and that she'd love Anita's vegan chicken tacos for dinner. She knows it's one of Anita's favorite dishes to both eat and make, and that alone makes this meal one of Rio's favorites too. Rio jumps when she sees a little boy a few feet in front of her. Huh, that's weird. I only looked down for a couple of seconds. Where the hell did this kid come from? The little boy picks up a few dandelions that are covering the landscape, then makes his way toward Rio. I pick these for you. You look like you need them, he says, his smile wide. The little boy sits down next to Rio, his hand with the flowers extended for Rio to grab them. Thank you. Rio says, her smile genuine as she takes the dandelions. Rio immediately follows up with, Where are your parents? Are you lost? The little boy shakes his head. My parents know I'm here. They're at the library. I wish I liked reading more, but I would rather be outside. I like to play. Rio looks the child over. He's wearing a navy blue suit with a little black tie and Rio instantly worries that he might get dirty if he plans on playing in the grass. You sure you're allowed to play outside right now? 
that's a really nice suit you're wearing. You wouldn't want to ruin it. This remark makes the little boy laugh. <laughs> that's thoughtful of you to think of others. Rio carefully wipes her face to try and hide the obvious tears. Why are you crying? Rio forces a small chuckle. <laughs> um, oh, I'm, I'm not crying. My allergies are just really bad. Can I show you something? The little boy leaps off of the bench and starts to walk toward the lake, in the direction opposite of the library. Rio looks around to see if there are any other adults in sight. She can't quite grasp why she suddenly feels tense, but her nerves are quickly making up for the sadness and hurt that was consuming her only moments ago. Um, maybe we should stay here. You know, until your parents get you. You don't want them to think you're missing. I promise it's not far. It'll only take a minute. Please? <sighs> okay, but only for a minute. Then you need to get back to the library and be with your parents. The little boy nods as he guides Rio toward a boat dock that's about a mile away from the bench the two had just been sitting on. As they walk a little further, Rio stops. Hey, what did you want to show me? It's starting to get late and I should be getting back home. And you need to find your parents before it gets dark out. But I have to show you something first. Look! The boy points toward the lake and Rio's heart sinks. The sight before her makes her feel sick. All the geese she had just been watching are dead, their limp bodies bloodied and aimlessly floating in the water. Rio doesn't care to hide her tears from this child anymore. Oh my god, what happened? Rio moves to console what she assumed would be an equally upset child, but the smile he has plastered on his face gives her goosebumps on her entire body. Why are you smiling? This isn't funny! Of course it's funny, because this is the world we live in, Rio. Rio's jaw locks, her body on high alert as she starts backing away from the little boy. How do you know my name? You know, there's a way for you to bring these poor, innocent creatures back. It's quite simple, really. Finish what you started on Monday, then you'll never have to be sad again. Fuck you. Rio runs as fast as she can. In a flash, she's inside Anita's car that's somehow parked behind the bench she was just sitting on. Confused, she's about to panic until Rio looks ahead at the lake and breathes a quick sigh of relief. All the geese are swimming. There doesn't appear to be any dead geese in sight. Oh, thank God. Don't give God the credit. This was all me. The little boy is now seated next to Rio. Rio jumps, about to propel herself from the car but all the doors lock. A very shaky Rio slowly turns to face the menacing child. What do you want? I want the same thing you wanted earlier this week. For you to end your life on your own terms. Take the control back, Rio. Give up and find that peace you've been seeking for good. Rio's shaking gets worse as her body trembles. No, I, I can't. Why not? What do you have to live for anyway? A dead-end job with a loser for a boss? Let me tell you, that guy is not worth your tears. <laughs> the little boy's own words crack him up. Rio tries desperately to open the door and get out of the car, but the more she fights it, the more resistance she can feel. It actually hurts her, as though internally her organs are on fire. 
Oh, come on, Rose. Things are only going to keep getting worse. You think you're sad now? Just wait to see what chaos and destruction you bring to the world just by being in it. No wonder your parents wanted nothing to do with you. You put all of your burden on sweet Anita. You truly are selfish. Rio's despair quickly shifts to full fury. The car begins to shake violently, the ground beneath them rumbling. Get away from me! Rio screams right before the little boy bursts into flames. He shrieks, the agony on his small face startling to Rio, who then tries to find something to put out the fire. You fucking bitch! You won't get away with this! He continues to holler as he slowly fades out of sight, the fire disappearing with him. Suddenly, Rio is back on the bench. She nervously flinches, her anger slowing to a simmer. She takes in everything around her, from Lake Erie and the geese happily swimming in it, to the text message on her phone from Anita that reads, Sounds delicious. A perfect way to end a crazy weekend. Huh. It's like it never happened. Rio's thoughts quickly cut back to the agonizing screams of the little boy, and she begins to feel guilty about somehow, some way, setting him on fire, until she remembers the horrific scene of the dead geese and the very nasty words he had to say. Serves you right, you little bastard. Rio hops off the bench with a lot of pep in her step as she heads home to her beloved Anita. Mr. Warden is sitting at a desk surrounded by filing cabinets made out of human flesh. He is finishing up some paperwork. His desk is a human man on all fours, completely naked. The naked man is doing his best to maintain his posture so the desk remains level. When Mr. Warden is ready to sign the paperwork in front of him, he takes the quill pen in his hand and makes a cut on the human man's back. The man cries out in pain, which only makes Mr. Warden chuckle as he uses the blood he obtained to sign the document. Suddenly, Nathaniel's screams of agony can be heard as they echo all around Mr. Warden's office. Oh, you better go. Mr. Warden kicks the human man's ass, prompting this makeshift desk to stand and flee as quickly as possible. The screams continue to echo until Nathaniel is standing right where Mr. Warden's desk was. Is everything all right? Does everything seem all right to you? That bitch Rio burned me! She somehow sent me back here! Mr. Warden's expression turns to one of fear. But how is that possible? If I knew the answer, then I wouldn't be standing before you now, would I? Nathaniel fires back, his little body still shaking. Uh, what are we going to do? We are not going to do anything. I'm going to put those minions to use. No one expels me back to hell. Forget Hugh Kirby. That 80s obsessed bitch is gonna pay! Tia and Rio Attempt to Save Themselves and the World is written, created, and produced by Callie Oberlander. Tia is performed by Hugh Philpot. 
All other voices are performed by Callie Oberlander. All sound design, editing, and music are by Eric Brown. My continuity checkers, readers, and biggest supporters are Jules Johnson, Hilary Roback, and Hugh Philpot. And if you've made it this far, please remember that even in the darkest times, there is always hope. Benvenuti nel mondo dei Pokémakers. Hold on, what are you doing? Oh, well, I was just getting ready to record Season 2 of Pokémakers. The new games we're making, Pokémon Marble and Bronze, are set in the Rencho region, which is inspired by Italy. True! And we're making new Fakemon for that region, such as our new mascot, Spadato. And we're drawing on aspects of Italian culture, including the Roman Empire and the Renaissance. Which, of course, means... Da, da Vinci. Vinci! Right, but we're inspired by Italy. That doesn't mean we're recording in Italian. Mamma mia! Here we go again! Enjoy Season 2 of Pokémakers! every other Saturday on the Pocket Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcasts. Because we've got to make them all. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.